Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we will study God's Word. Good morning. My name is Randy Young. I am the transition lead pastor at Peninsula Covenant Church. And I want to tell you, I'm really glad to be here this morning. And I hope that you are really glad to be here this morning. Because our God has called us to come into his presence to worship him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I hope and pray that you be acutely aware so that when God maybe speaks a quiet voice, that you may hear it and touch your heart and leave different than when you came because God has touched you. Today marks the third week of a five-week series on the Shema, and we begin by doing the litany based on the Shema. I will say the first part. You get to say the second part. I will lead you into that. I will slow it down just a little so that I know your Hebrew isn't great, (laughs) but uh, I know that uh, you are fully capable of doing this. Let's begin. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Baruch Shem Kavod, Mahuto Le'olam Va'ed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of his Lord's forever and ever. Will you pray with me? Open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus, to reach out and touch him, and say that we love him. Open our ears, Lord. And help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. Let's do it one more time. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. Reach out and touch him and say that we love him. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. Amen. These commandments I give you this day are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. I have to ask the question, to whom is Moses speaking? Impress them on your children. 
A case could be made that God, uh, Moses is talking to Israel, all of Israel. The beginning of this sermon, the beginning of the Shema is, Hear, O Israel. It's all inclusive. Hear, O Israel, all of you. And yet, who's to take responsibility for impressing them, the commandments of God, on our children? It's a little amorphous. It's very unspecific. And therefore, a little bit confusing. Whose children? Whose who's, who's children? Lately, we've heard prominent national leaders say things like, sorry, I've got to get my glasses. <laughs> These are kids. These are our kids. They belong to all of us. Someone else has said, there is no such thing as someone else's child. No such thing as someone else's child. Our nation's children are all our children. And yet someone else said this, interestingly, teachers know what is best for their kids because they are with them every day. We must trust teachers. In a sense, elevating teachers above we the parents. So interesting to me that we now live in a, a time in which uh, a, a common, having a common understanding of, uh, about children and that they are gifts from God um, and the responsibility of parents, understanding to whom children belong has become a national discussion. Here I thought this was settled science long ago. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the way, when you lie down, when you get up. Who's with children at home? Who are the people who are taking children from place to place, to school, to soccer practice, to choir practice, to, and back home again? Who are the people who are with children when they go to bed at night, who are with children when they wake up in the morning. I would submit to you that even though Moses said, Hear, O Israel, as soon as he says, impress them on your children, and then defines how to do that by doing it at home on the way at night and in the morning, I suggest to you that he's talking to people who are parents. Parents. As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, as people who seek the kingdom of God, maybe the first place to look as we try to figure out what does it mean to be parents and how do you go about being a parent really should be what we learn from Scripture and to ask the question, what is God's design? What is God's will? What is God's ways of doing it? that slide of Jesus' teaching. I saw this the other day. It says, help your neighbor and take care of the poor and hungry. You mean give money to the Romans and let them do it? Okay, I'm going to start over. 
Let me know where I lost you. I thought about that. I thought, wow, we could probably put parents up there. Help your, uh, uh, help uh, parents take care of your kids. Impress them on your children. You mean turn it over to whoever, including the church? What is the relationship, what is the nature of the partnership between parents and society? What is the nature of the of the relationship and the partnership between church and parents. There is one view. We live in a culture in which we do have public education. We, uh, we pay for childcare, for preschool programs, for after-school programs, for uh, youth programs, for uh, soccer and, and other uh, recreational kinds of uh, things to do. And so there's this almost this sense in which the primary responsibility is everyone but parents. And parents, our job is to support, and specifically in terms of raising children in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ, the church. The church is responsible for raising children. And the parents, our job is to support the church. I'd like to suggest that maybe we've averted it. Just perhaps God is asking parents to take prime responsibility for raising their kids. And the purpose of the church is to come around and support you in raising your kids. And if that's the case, then what would Christian education look like How would it be different than how we might be carrying it on today? The same with youth ministry. What would youth ministry look like if the primary responsibility was left with parents and the church comes around to support you? I think it might look really, really different. And it's something I think we ought to consider. I was went to a graduation yesterday at San Anselmo, at San Francisco Theological Seminary. I, uh, I went to cheer on one of my former students, who's the first student that I know of who've gone on to earn an advanced degree. And it was so fun to be there. And I ran into a fellow colleague of mine, a Presbyterian pastor, who's got his, received his doctor in ministry. But uh, one of the things they did was that in the program, they listed the names of the people who earned a doctor of ministry, but also their uh, thesis. And this one is by Sukyung Hong. And the name of his, uh, the title of his dissertation was this, Leading Adaptive Change in a Korean-American Congregation with a View Toward Understanding How Parents Expand Faith Formation with Their Children. I looked at that, I'm going, yes! <laughs> There's hope for the church. There's hope for parents. There's hope for the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say there are lots of ways to, there are lots of ways to raise kids. Several years ago, there was a, a woman by the name of Amy Chua who uh, wrote a book called The Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother. (laughs) 
She was the one who coined the word tiger mom. Everyone talked about tiger mom and, you know, and almost like a helicopter mom, but it's not. It's different. Tiger moms have probably earned a bad reputation or a bad view because of how important education is for their children and the demands they put upon their children, which is very different than most Western uh, people in in, in the Western Hemisphere. Some people call it the Chinese mom. I would agree. She said, tiger moms... Uh, and Amy Chu is, is, is not just a mom. She's quite accomplished in the, uh, uh, a person in her own right. She's a corporate lawyer, a legal scholar, and a professor at Yale Law School. She says this about tiger moms, and so I just want to clarify what a tiger mom is. Goes, people who, they advocate extreme, extremely restricted autonomy for children. They advocate limited recreation time. They have a huge emphasis on industry, not talent, as the key to success. They advocate deep personal involvement of the parent in schoolwork and a focus on outcomes considered desirable by society. That's what a tiger mom is. On the other hand, you have people on the other side of the spectrum who are what I, laissez-faire, you know, just let the kids do what kids do. This person, this kind of parenting is, is represented by a, a well-known person, but I'm not sure if it's a, she's an expert in parenting. Joy Behar from The View. She said uh, earlier this year, I was a wolf in the woods, talking about her own upraising. They, her parents, Let me do whatever I want. They asked my mother one time, how come Joy didn't go to Catholic school? She said she didn't want to. I mean, that was it. I decided what I was going to do. Interestingly, she raised her child, I think her name is Amy, the same way. Very, very interestingly... Amy has become essentially a tiger mom. What does that say? Very interesting. So, the problem of letting children grow up on their own is because they don't understand the world all that much. The realities of the world. If I have the next slide of the little boy on the, there we go. Why boys need parents. <laughs> there are times it's, it's really not good to allow children to kind of do their own thing because they could end up in a really bad place for the rest of their lives. If parents... One of the things that we need to do as parents is to teach children how to live in the 21st century. I have a friend whose son, for Halloween, helps his two kids create costumes for Halloween. And they would go out trick-or-treating, and they would come back home, and they're all excited. And the dad, 
His name's John, would ask them to put all the candy on the table. And then he took 25% from each of them. <laughs> and they would go, oh, wait, you know, that's my candy. No, not that candy. You can have this candy. It's to teach them about taxes. <laughs> See, the thing about parenting is it can be fun. You can be creative. I saw someone else uh, say, you know, my daughter wanted, wanted me to throw a Cinderella party for her. So I did. I invited all her, all her friends over to clean my house. <laughs> you can have some fun with this. But at the same time, we also recognize that if you are laissez-faire, if you left your, your son or daughter to their own devices... If you don't fill their minds with the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ, it becomes very questionable about what comes into their lives. Todd Rose is a man who wrote a book called The Collective Illusions. It came out about a year and a half ago. Todd is a really interesting person in that when he was a senior in high school, he was a high school dropout with a grade point average of 0.93. He admits that you have to work really hard to get a 0.93. A month later, his girlfriend comes to him and said, honey, I'm pregnant. What do you do? Now he's facing a moral dilemma. He dropped out of school because he wanted to live life the way he wanted, but now he has a girlfriend that he loves and is pregnant. What is he going to do? The good news is that he chose well. He chose to marry his girlfriend, but it immediately dropped him right into poverty. They were living on food stamps. He didn't have a, a, a diploma, so therefore it was tough for him to get a job. So he uh, took every menial job that, that you could get with a 0.93 GPA. Like the prodigal son who was feeding the the, the pigs was slop. He came to his senses, earned a GED and got graduated from high school. Began going to night school at Weber State University and got a bachelor's degree in psychology. He goes on to earn a master's and a doctorate in psychology from Harvard University. Think about that story for a second. How do you go from a 0.93 high school dropout and get a doctorate from Harvard University? And the exclamation point on that is that he became an assistant professor of psychology at Harvard University. He wrote this book called Collective Illusions in which he cited a study from uh, Clemson University in which they discovered that 80% 80, 80 of the content on social media is created by 10% of the users. 5% based roughly on either end. They come from the extreme. These are extreme views. And then when you compound it with bots in the amount of traffic, most people who look at this stuff, they are not lies, they're just extreme views. 
But when you look at it, most people come to the conclusion, oh, that's what most Americans must believe. I don't believe it, but most Americans do. And so that is a collective illusion. And if we don't fill the hearts and minds of our children, as much as we see social media, it affects us, and we don't understand that it's the extreme at either end, how is that going to affect and influence and shape the life of our children? Very negatively, most likely. Last week, this past week, I, I saw a movie. Pretty good movie, not a great movie, but a very interesting movie. It's called Seven Days in Utopia. Do you know that there's a place in America called Utopia? It's in Texas, of course. (laughs) It's 44 miles away from Uvalde, where that shooting happened a couple years ago. It's a movie about a young man who was an aspiring golf pro, and he melted down in the tournament in Texas. He was leading by one uh, on the last hole, the 72nd hole. And he pulls out a three iron to uh, hit a three iron and be safe and get the ball on the fairway. His dad said, you're playing not to lose. Play to win. Handed him the, the driver. Took the driver, hit it into the rough. Got into the rough and hit another one into the water. And he melted down and he carted a 14 Broke his putter, his dad's walking away, and he's devastated. He's driving home. He comes to this T, this intersection, and it said left to a town, I can't remember, to the right was Utopia. So he goes to Utopia, and as he's driving there, he sees this rancher with his horse by him sticking a flag, uh, 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 a green flag stick into the ground. And he's driving, he's looking at it, he goes, what is a farmer in the middle of a field putting a golf flag stick in the middle of the ground. And as he's doing that, he looks up and all of a sudden there's a cow in the middle of the road. He swerves to get out, uh, to not hit it, crashes through the fence of the, fa- uh, of the ranch belonging to that man that he was seeing putting the flag stick in. Long story short, he spends seven days in, in Utopia. Turns out the man, the rancher, played by Robert Duvall, Um, was a former uh, PGA player and put his game back together in seven days. What was interesting to me was that this was a town of about 750 people. They all went to church. They all talked about, God bless you. They all said grace before a meal. They did all that stuff. It it was normal. It was normal. It wasn't a weird cult. You guys are weird praying for, you know, what are you doing? No, it was normal. I liked the movie because of that. How do you live a faith as a way of life? And it's normal. 
And I think what Moses is trying to say to us, what he says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you bring the groceries home, when you put the groceries away, when you make a meal, when you eat that meal, when you put away the dishes and do the dishes, when you are reading a book, when you are playing a game, when you are watching a movie together, when you drive to the soccer game or to school or to your uh, club sport or 24-hour fitness or church or whatever, when you come home and you say your prayers that night before you go to sleep and you recount what God has done in your life through that day and you say, thanks, God. It's a pretty good day. And then when you wake up in the morning and you realize God's given you another day to live, to see him at work in front of us, around us, in us, and through us, he's saying, normalize this as life. This is our life. This is the way we live. And we gather together as PCC as a way to encourage and support one another that this, what we do, is normal. You are not weird. You are normal. And it's through the eyes of God. He's very pleased. Lord God, Help us to trust that what you have instructed us is in our best interest. That it is the best way to live life. To experience your touch. To hear your voice. To see you at work, at home, away, going to bed and waking up. Help us to live that kind of life so that we may be blessed and we know it and we are at peace with that and that we experience your joy. I pray that for every single person who's a part of PCC those who are here in this worship center, certainly those who are looking in from afar. Help us know that what we are doing puts a smile on your face and that it is good. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And the people of God said, Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.